He's in here. Are you sure it's him? Yeah. He barged past the cleaner and locked himself in. Oh, poor man. He's been driven to the edge. He's too conscientious for his own good. Well, whatever he is, he needs to vacate this room ASAP. Cleaner's gone to get the key. I can't be standing here like she's at fourpence. The talk of the street. 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 Hello and welcome to episode 244 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that reckons Corey made a very strong case for a future one-hander episode of Stephen just tripping out of his tits. I'm Gavin. And I'm in the Thunder Snow Dome. <laughs> now last week you had no intro yes. and oh how we lamented it. <laughs> we did. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the middle of a snowstorm here in mid-Michigan and it's also thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening me. I didn't think that that was possible. Well, it is. Because you've lived through it. Yeah. It's rare. It is rare. I, I've experienced it, I think, once before in my lifetime. But, you know, I was just sitting in the living room, or no, the dining room. Because that's where yep. I like to sit. Yes, and details are important. In my wee, my wee bright chair. A wee chair. curie then, I would say. A wee curie then. Yes. My little wee spot. All curried up. And I heard it, and I thought like a plane was crashing or something. Because you don't expect it. Or like a big truck was going by. Or we were having a tornado, which would be even more incredible than thunder. Or the Spanish <laughs> Inquisition. Because no one ever suspects the Spanish Inquisition. Expects. That's what I said. You said suspects. Well, both. <laughs> no, I think they are neither a, suspected nor expected. I think it's just expect. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I've had experience of this once. Too, too in- well. Interesting is very subjective, isn't it? <laughs> Let's just say two stories regarding thunder and lightning. One that we've had here before, which uh-huh. is the snowstorm thunder and lightning, which mm-hmm. blows my mind and still blows my mind. The second was in the Cayman Islands uh-huh. when there was lightning and no thunder and apparently no clouds. Where's the lightning coming from? Who knows? Who knows? Weather's funny. Meteorologists know. Yeah. So it's if like- you're a meteorologist, <laughs> let us know how that's how, how on earth is any of that possible. It's like that island where it's thunder and lightning all the time and it never stops. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? In the UK, there's a saying, it is too cold to snow. Mm-hmm. I, I guess kids of a certain age will have heard their parents say that to them. Well, because that's possible. It's minus four degrees Celsius outside. It's too cold to snow. That's actually bollocks because it's been minus 40 here and it's been snowing. Right. It's not too cold to snow. It's too dry to snow. Oh. That's the difference. Oh, die. <laughs> too dry to <laughs> snow. You need humidity for it to, to snow. You need moisture in the air for it to... Right, absolutely. Precipitate. Correct. Yeah, right, you know. So, kids, 
go tell your parents they're wrong. They're wrong, diddly wrong. Yeah, and we have we have a full day tomorrow, which I don't know if any of it's going to happen. I hope not, because I have been feeling under the weather all week. Yeah, and I've been up and down. I need a break. Yeah, Steli has a musical festival in the morning. If Steli plays her trombone and I'm I'm not there to hear it, does it still make a sound? You know what would also make a sound in that case? Her wee heart breaking. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's not like I haven't dedicated hours of my life to watching her bowl recently. This is different. She bowled a 170 last weekend. She did. We're very, so proud. Very proud so of that. very, very proud. And she has her proper trombone. Thank God. 14 years old bowl on the 170. And six months ago, she was barely bowling a 40. Right. With bumpers. Yes. And now she's going to try her hand at tennis. She's come a long way. Oh, she doing that definitely now. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah, because she wouldn't be. She wouldn't have much time on the field if she played soccer. No, and that's what she wants. Yeah. So, so. won't be sitting on no bench. No. Yeah. So you'd be doing that, and I have my book auction tomorrow. I'm so nervous. I shouldn't be nervous, but I'm nervous. Yeah. Why, why are you? Well, because I've put a lot of work into it, so I want it to succeed, and it looks like it's succeeding. But, no, no, you know. Go over yourself then. Eh, shut That's up. That's a pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you get nervous when you when you really want your spreadsheets to succeed? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> you have no idea what I do. And that's fine. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that you have no idea what I do, Corrie News. <laughs> Remember what your mum used to say? I work with computers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bless. I don't think you're that far off that, by the way. No, you work for HR and you make computers and spreadsheets do smart things with programming and stuff. Like making sure that everybody's working every single second of every single day with as few bathroom breaks as possible. I don't really do that anymore, but it's fine. You're the problem. Oh, I've always been the problem. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> All right, back to Corey News. In a lovely show of support this week, David Nielsen appeared in the audience of Dancing on Ice to cheer on Molly Gallagher. Hey. Roy would approve. I think she's through to the semi-final now. That's brilliant. I think she's through. I haven't really been watching it that much. No. It's on at a really weird time. Yeah, well, it's on in an even weirder time because we're in the United States. Yeah, five hours prior to that so i've watched it occasionally uh-huh. and i saw her uh post something where she was uh asking for people to remember to vote because she really wants to mm-hmm. to stay in and I, and I think she was successful in that effort so excellent we heard this week that phase x jackson is moving back to weatherfield this week but did you know he's lost his head <laughs> too dry to snow Never fear, he's gained a new one, namely actor Joseph Evans, who is taking over for Reese Cadman. And I couldn't find an article saying why Reese Cadman's not doing it anymore. Maybe he just doesn't want to. And I don't blame him. Well, I was about to ask that question. <laughs> oh, she's so grumpy. Ah, uh, nah, I, 
I was kind. I was more on Faye's side than not on Faye's side this week. So I couldn't remember where Jackson and Miley had gone. Right. So I had to look it up. It's Canada. And yeah, and I was hoping it was going to be Cyprus, <laughs> so I could call this story Miley Cyprus. But unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Damn you, Cory writers! You know, it's the right timeline. It's quite possible those two teenagers did name their child after Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Can you think of any other Corey character named after a popular songstress of the time? Uh, Sarah? For Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin? Correct. No. <laughs> I don't know if this is a, would be a famous songstress here. here or not. But Toya is named after Toya Wilcox. Oh, I thought she was named after a Toyota. Yeah, her last name was Corolla. Oh my God, what is wrong with us already tonight? It's going to be a long night, folks. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> and finally. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you may have noticed. A distinct lack of soaps on Wednesday. Thanks again to what we hear in the United States. You're recycling this story from two weeks ago when the same thing happened. Hey, shut up. I worded it differently this time. Oh my God. What is wrong with us? I blame it on the thunderstorm. We'll be back after a short break. <laughs> Hopefully you noticed it was on on Thursday instead. Don't worry, I'm sure this football thing won't catch on. And that's Corey News. Wow. <laughs> well, that was something else. It was something else. And now, Corey Sports and Weather. <laughs> thunder snow! There's thunder snow. Which neat, neatly, neatly leads us into well, podcast for coffee. Don't worry, folks. There'll be no more laughter when we start actually talking about the storylines. Well, maybe, or maybe a little bit. We're drinking our own coffees this week. Well, we're not drinking coffee because it's. 8 o'clock at night, but I am drinking a Gosling's Diet Ginger Beer. It's very gingery. I like it. Fiery. It's a yes, fiery ginger yes. beer. And I'm drinking cranberry juice. The Toggle the Street is, and always will be, free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show, our little show here, our is worth show. anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street, and we'll be very appreciative, won't we, Helen? Ah, uh, maybe. <laughs> and now this... Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about monkey tennis. Monkey tennis. Monkey tennis. Monkey tennis? Monkey tennis. Monkey. Tennis played by monkeys. Yes. I don't remember this. That's right. 
This was Cathy shouting this at Brian when talking about their future plans. She said he had more hairband ideas than Alan Partridge. Monkey tennis! I was Gavin and you were vengeance. Yes, because we had just watched The Batman. We were just about to go see The Batman. Oh, yes. Which sadly I... had less Robert Pattinson masturbation in the lighthouse than you'd ideally like. Yeah, there was le- there was more in the lighthouse than less in the Batman. Hmm. Yeah. I think I can go further and say there was none in the Batman. Well, was we it? don't know what he was doing while he was watching Catwoman I, walk around in her underwear in her apartment. I think we need a scene to be able to know for sure. Yes. We were looking at 60 degrees that weekend and snow on Monday. And I think it's to be c- kind of warm tomorrow once the snow dies down. Right, and it was 60 degrees yesterday. Chesney. Thunder snow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chesney reconsiders Linda's offer and agrees to let Joseph escape his dreary life in Weatherfield in favour of sunnier climes in that Portugal. A frantic Abby finds it impossible to get in touch with Kev, but hears some devastating news when she drops in to speak with Debbie. Craig and Faye are horrified to discover that Emma is continuing her relationship with the grandson of the old man that Faye killed. Brian and Cathy are finally back from their extended vacation and come to a disagreement when he announces his desire to retire to the coast. Adam moves into number one while Lydia's plans to destroy his life from top to bottom gains pace. John quotes movies. Toya eats Imran's ring. But not like that. The new terminal at Manchester Airport is quite tidy. Our moment of the week was Roy and Sam playing chess. Word to the wise here. Our moment of the week in a week that has Roy and Sam playing chess will probably be Roy and Sam playing chess. Yes. We don't get it nearly enough. No. And our boring moment of the week was Kirk and his fucking suggestion box. (laughs) Remember his suggestion? His suggestion was for a suggestion box. Yes, correct, yes. And more yo-yos. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time, last year. Oh my. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline tonight is Tim's mum about the house. On Monday, Peter is looking up the value of Rufus's watch. The watch that, if you remember, Rufus said was worth more than all the money Peter will ever see in his life. Right. Turns out it's worth 15 grand. Well, we knew it was an exaggeration, mm. what Rufus said. But still, 15 grand's not Such anything a... to sneeze about. Have you ever spent 15 grand on a piece of jewellery? I haven't, but I've also earned more than 15 grand. That's true. Peter tempts Carla with the idea of doing a jigsaw on a speedboat or something. Sexy. Very sexy. A sexy jigsaw on a super sexy speedboat. Mm -hmm. Stephen bumps into Tim's mum on the street and she shows him the flat she's going to see at Red Bank. She's got it in a brochure. She hasn't drawn a picture of it or anything. I thought it was on her phone. She invites him along to view it, but he's busy with work, so they arrange to meet up later. At the factory, Stephen is about to throw his scheme into action. Remember his scheme from last week? He was looking up the articles oh, yes. of association. And he asks Sarah to back him up without giving her any details of what he's up to. Right. So he gathers the knicker people using some cheese. Mm-hmm. That's That typically works. That or a creamed horn. <laughs> and tells them that what with Carla being mental now, he's checked out the article of association and suggests having a vote of no confidence in Carla to get her out 
which will let her focus on getting better and allow them to operate the factory better in her absence. He pitches this as a temporary measure. Right. The knicker people and Sarah look unconvinced and Faye secretly gets her phone out Mm -hmm. and seems to tip Carla off. Yes. He does make this sound as if it is just a... Right. He does his best to make it sound like it's it's a compassionate thing to do right, for Carla yes. here. Everybody sees through this. Yeah. Izzy. Right. Izzy was like, she's stuck by me. She, right. She kept my job going. Right. She, when they I made accommodations the and right. all that sort of stuff. So her Don't loyalty is very much. And Stephen's like, well, if you're loyal to her, you will, you will vote for this and, mm-hmm. and give her the chance to to get better, and it'll secure your jobs. Ugh. Stephen's secret ballot comes back with a resounding unanimous result. 100% of the Knicker people vote against the vote of no confidence. He, ha 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 Including he, Sarah. Yeah, that was hilarious. Yes. He, pro- he praises the Knicker people for their loyalty and hopes that they've made the right decision. Sarah stomps off as he's talking furious and in the office after he stomps after her, he's furious that Sarah voted against him, but she trumps him because he kept her in the dark. And plus, she can't vote against what everyone was going to vote for. Correct. Then Dick Fotheringham, I don't think it's Fotheringham, but I can't remember his his last name. That's fine. He's back in the factory and surprised to see Stephen in the manager's chair. And then Carla appears out of nowhere, tells Stephen to get back to packaging and apologises to, to Dickie for missing the last meeting, sort of blaming it on Stephen for fucking up her calendar. Yes. So later, Carla calls Stephen into her office and sacks him for, is this the second time or the third time? Something like that. Stephen is shocked. He's shocked. He is shocked. To be sacked until Carla reveals that she knows about the vote of no confidence. He claims that he's too valuable to the business for this, but she calls him a scheming parasite and throws him out. She thanks the Knicker people for their loyalty and assures them that the business is fine and no one is about to lose their jobs. Later, Tim's mum meets Stephen and Nina's roles and he tells her what happened, although he's careful to make it sound like he's the injured party in all this. She tries to cheer him up with chat about the flat in Red Bank, which turns out to be a penthouse that's a little bit outside her budget. And so she suggests that he gets in on this action, which will get him out of Audrey's. Just as friends, you understand, she says. Mm. He still has commission money, so agrees. He's in, and so they celebrate with the stingiest cheese and ham sandwiches I've ever seen. Yes. No one talks about what happens when one of them wants to move out of this flat, but that's fine. Right. Because they're agreeing to kind of go halfsies on this place to live. Right, So what happens when Stephen wants to move out? He's going to sell his half? Well, that's going to require someone wanting to move in with Tim's mum. Right. He'll probably, you know, gaslight her into believing it's her idea. To move out? Yeah, because he's awful like that. Mm. He's the worst. (laughs) I hate him. Yeah, well, you're meant to. Yes. Later, in the alleyway of doom, Stephen is making a phone call, and whoever he's speaking to, he tells them there's a problem. Meanwhile, Peter has tracked Carla down to the factory. What happened to the fucking speedboat thing? Carla explains that she has to get in contact with all the suppliers now that she's back in charge. If it's money that she's worried about, I don't know why he thinks that she's worried about money. Right, seriously. Peter explains that he has 15 grand that he got from gambling on horses. So she doesn't need to work for three months or something. Right. Carl explains what happened with Stephen and gets back to work. 
he says that he had a 20 to 1 shot, so mm-hmm. he's won 15 grand, which means that he put on about about 700 quid. Is it? No, that's not right. Yeah, about 700 quid. Do you think that's true? Which is... Well, I mean, obviously it's not true. He's talking about the stupid watch. Yeah, but it's still... It's a very extravagant bet at 20 to 1 to win 15 grand. Yeah. And yeah. she doesn't seem to be bothered about it anyway, so I don't know why he's... I really don't know why he's lying about this. It's really dumb. And also, it's really dumb to think that she's worried about money because she's Carla and he's Peter. And also, and you know, she tells him flat out, she's like, it's not about money. It's about, you know, I need to work to be happy. Yeah, she's put a lot of time and effort into this factory. She's proud of it and she wants him to be proud of her. Right. Which he says that he is. Although he is trying to mollycoddle her uh, right. at least a little bit here. Yes. But I don't know if this feels... Peter's actions here with this watch feels... I don't know that it sits well. No. Or maybe maybe it does, because he's been after some satisfaction, but not mm-hmm. like that, since the Doctor. Yes. Doctor Thorpe. Thorn? Thorn. Yes. Since Doctor Thorn. He's been wanting his, his compo and stuff. Right. He's been wanting some kind of retribution against... The wealthy. In inverted commas, the system. Right, and, and, yeah. And, uh, Eat the, the rich. The one percenters, right? So maybe right. this is just his has get it right up them sort of thing. Yeah. But I wonder why Rufus hasn't tried to get this watch back. Surely he notices it's missing. Right, especially since it's a $15,000 watch. Mm. Who knows? I don't know. It's strange. So, Carla explains what happened with Stephen and gets back to work. And she tracks down Stephen to the bistro. Seemingly, she's had Rufus Houndstooth on the phone, who has made it clear that he has plans to ignore the contract that he's just signed and cancel his business unless he's working directly with Stephen. That, that, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You signed a contract. You can't, if you're going to back out of a contract, it's going to cost you. It's an odd contract that has a stipulation in it that allows the buying party to back out if they're not working with the Canadian guy. Right. So unless this is a clause in the contract, then he's really shit out of luck. But anyway. Carla- and also, this can't possibly be like the cornerstone of their business now that she's so desperate to keep Rufus, Rufus's business that she's willing to allow Stephen back in. Now, let's not, let's not mistake this. This is a good deal. But the factory was operating pretty well, by all accounts, without it. Absolutely. So why this is suddenly the be-all or end-all, maybe this is something that she says, well, do you know what? I'm going to write this off, and I've learnt my lesson. Mm -hmm. This is the best deal that I've ever lost, because Mm -hmm. it's taught me to get rid of Stephen Bloody Reed. Right. Anyway, Carla isn't so naive that she doesn't think the two of them are in cahoots, but they need the deal. Well, I don't know that they do. So she offers Stephen his job back, but Stephen doesn't want his old job back. He wants to be Carla's number two. Well, you're definitely a shit, says Carla, and she reluctantly agrees. On Thursday, Stephen is practicing his sales pitch for Michael's new line in the precinct when he bumps into Tim's mum. She tells him that he works too hard, especially now that he's been promoted. And then he spies some drug-dealing youths in the precinct. Yes. Which amounts to nothing that day. No. The pitch is at a big event at the Rape Hotel and Carla tells 
Stephen and Sarah that she wants them to try and break into the American market. Mm-hmm. And she challenges both of them. It seems that she won't be going along herself for some reason, which is strange because they're still at the factory at this point. Right. And Stephen refuses to share his pitch with her. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Which he's like, you need to trust me to know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for a long time. I know what I'm doing. And it's like, fine. That's fine. But also she's your boss. You need to show her your work. Mm. What a tool bag. Ahead of the big pitch, Stephen and Sarah are in Nina's roles. Both of them are bricking it a bit, but Sarah takes a moment to congratulate her uncle on his promotion. Stephen says everything ran better when they were in charge. Back at the factory, Eh. still ahead of the big pitch, Stephen is making teas and pours the remains of his LSD stash into a mug in the middle of the factory. Arise, though, are drawn to the different milks that they have out. Right, yes. And also, Stephen is distracted by a conversation going on about a present that Sarah has gotten from Adam for their anniversary. Yeah. Their leather anniversary. And he got her coasters and a leather-smelling candle. Now, we know that Sarah likes a bit of leather. Surely he could have been a bit more imaginative. Right. And sexy. Do you remember what you got me for the leather anniversary? Nope. It was a bracelet and it broke like a week after you gave it to me. And now you're telling me this? <laughs> it didn't matter. It's the thought that counts. Later, I- just as they're about to leave, Stephen and Sarah finish their teas and then Carla takes a sip of hers and then promptly spits it out. Full fat milk, you dirty bastard, she shouts. And now Stephen is very worried about where he put the LSD. <laughs> Sarah's finished <laughs> her cup. And he's finished his. Yes. At the rape hotel, Sarah's complaining about feeling a bit lightheaded, while Stephen is very sweaty. But he thinks that maybe he's drugged Sarah, but she's sure it's just because she's got an empty stomach, so Debbie organises a sandwich for her. And one sandwich later, Sarah's feeling better. Stephen, meanwhile, is... Do you think this means that Sarah's pregnant? Oh, it never crossed my mind. Mm. I thought it was there purely as a vehicle to allow Stephen to be confused. Well, but now you mention it, could be, it could be, could be both. Meanwhile, Stephen's arguing with Rufus Houndstooth about breaking into the American market. Rufus Houndstooth is wanting the exclusivity that he just paid for. Right. Yes, and you know, and he wants first refusal on mm. the American market. Yeah. Because for some reason he's in the American market. Sure. Then Tim's mum turns up to the pitch to give her support just as Stephen starts tripping balls. Yes. So when Sarah introduces Stephen to do his pitch in front of, I don't know, 12 people, he's breathing heavily, keeps on saying how he's excited, and then watches Sarah's face melt. That's great. Somebody's uh, discovered the liquify tool on After Effects. (laughs) And then the audience becomes full of sinkhole Leos and his dads, terrified and screaming about how excited he is. Stephen runs away, leaving Sarah to do the pitch. That was hilarious. It was hilarious. It was just so funny. Uh. Meanwhile, still tripping out of his tits, Stephen runs into a hotel room, throws out the cleaner, and lies on the floor, where he is surrounded by Cinco Leo and Teddy still, but this time in black and white, because that's scarier. Ooh. Then the room becomes the factory binyard where Leo died, and then it becomes the factory office where Teddy died. And he imagines Teddy lying on the ground and then his eyes open up. And he calls him a liar. 
which I guess they must have filmed at the time because the, the position was perfect. It looked like it was a complete uh, jump back to the moment when, when Teddy died. Hmm. So I guess they, they must have known that Stephen was going to be tripping acid at some point in the future. So let's do a kind of zombie version of Teddy here waking up. Hmm. Outside, Debbie is banging on the door to get in, which is infiltrating into Stephen's trip and just making it worse. Even worse. I love that he's having a bad trip. Oh, I love that. So awful. I love that that Carla saw colors and a giant Ken Barlow. <laughs> she saw Ken Barlow's. <laughs> yes, many of them. And and yet Stephen has the bad trip. Stephen sees the faces of the people that he's killed. Yes, and also his niece melting. I've never, I've never dropped acid. Uh huh. I imagine that is a kind of gateway into your subconscious a little bit. Yes. That you kind of discover things about yourself as one is tripping. Did Did you watch John Oliver this past Sunday? Yes, I did. So, so, so you know a little bit about how LSD is being used. Yes. To to help people with um with depression and stuff which is kind of what so rufus was saying a couple of weeks ago yeah the microdosing. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and so yeah absolutely it will it can it can trigger your subconscious and sometimes that's a good thing carla and sometimes Barlow's. and and sometimes that's a bad thing steven right dead, dead. And, and you're supposed to you have somebody there with you you know monitoring you and everything to keep you safe and mm. Make sure that you don't jump out of a window thinking that you can fly. Right, that sort of thing. But you or know cook you, a baby. But you know that what you, you want. It's a turkey. You know what you want to do if you want to fly. Start flapping your wings when you're on the ground. Yes. Yeah, you don't jump out a window. No. Birds don't jump out windows. Well, they kind of jump out of nests, though, don't they? Yeah, but they start from the limb. They don't just. And they start flapping their wings on the limb. You don't have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Sure, you have to do, do your Mick Jagger impression here. I know, I know no, what flapping see, your wings See, means. my heads are up here. So this is not Mick Jagger. If my heads were underneath me, that would be Mick Jagger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, comes. No, that's quite enough of that. Yes. Yeah. Thunder snow. <laughs> so Tim's mum comes along to explain that Stephen is under an awful lot of pressure right now just in case he's naked and masturbating when they manage to open the door. Right. Debbie reckons that he's out of his tits on booze or drugs. Tim's mum insists it's stress and she manages to get the door open <laughs> where she sees Stephen on the floor saying, I need help. Help me. Help me. Get me help. Tim's mum sticks her head back out and says, he's fine. Shuts the door. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He needs help. He needs help. He's asking for like help. Medical help. Please take him to the hospital so, so, so we can discover that he's on LSD mm-hmm. and then everything falls apart. Can we please, please finally catch this asshole? <laughs> he tells Tim's uh. mom that he needs help but doesn't think that she's actually there. She says she is there and she'll always be there because she's that stupid. Later, Stephen starts to come down. And he says that he's just a bit under the weather. Mm. Tim's mum blames Carla because Tim's mum's a feminist. 
Stephen says, it's not that. Back in the street, Pete and Carl are coming back from the chippy when they run into Sarah, who tells them that it was a very productive day and Stephen did a marvellous job and they've got some American interest. That must be you and me. The American interest. Yes. Carla doesn't seem like she believes it, but she lets it go. Back in the hotel room, Tim's mum thinks it might be time for Stephen to retire. And maybe the Red Bank is a little bit too much of a pipe dream and maybe a nice cottage in the country instead of being Adam and Sarah's neighbours would be uh, more in keeping. And wouldn't a cottage in the country be more expensive than a flat in town? Maybe. Stephen says he's done bad things and he doesn't deserve it. It seems his trip has given him a bit of introspection here. She thinks that he's talking about business and says that she wants to grab what's left of her life with someone special for keeps. That would be perfect, says Stephen. And now it's Tim's mum who's tripping balls because she thinks he's just proposed and she's thrilled to accept. Oh my God. Nothing about that sounded like, will you marry me? No. None of it. No. All he said was that the idea of spending the rest of your life with someone caring for you and right. somebody that you love would be somebody perfect. Somebody for keeps, yeah. Would be perfect. Yeah. And she hears, will you marry me? I don't know. Oh, I'm starting to understand Tim's dad a bit better here. <gasps> Shame on oh, you. Oh, what a terrible thing to say. Absolutely terrible. On Friday, Stephen and Tim's mum are in Nina's roles. She's a giggly schoolgirl about her impending nuptials and wants to tell the world. He talks her into taking it slowly and treating it like a wee secret affair, which she quite likes the sound of. Mm. Stephen arrives at the factory just in time to get a bit of a bollocking from Carla, who's heard about him running off stage yesterday. Stephen blames on food poisoning and says his guts are still fucked. In the meantime, Sarah has a contact for the American deal, so Carla tells her to organise the meeting. On her own, son Stephen. <laughs> this is not Stephen's deal, which seems fair because Sarah was the one who... Who forged it, right? Yes, absolutely. So Stephen is in the pub. And yet Stephen is pissed off by this. I know. He did nothing to secure it. Because he's he, he, he can't lose to a woman. He's also not a feminist. No. So Stephen is in the pub talking about being Carlos number two and constantly getting stepped on. Jenny doesn't take the piss out of him, but reminds him that he used to be Billy Big Balls, full of ideas and grabbing the world. And this gives him pause. So Stephen heads to the precinct and speaks to those youths from yesterday. Says that he's looking for LSD and they tell him he's 50 years too late. That was hilarious. He gives them some money up front. <sighs> uh, yeah, why? Right. And they threaten to do a runner until he yells at them like Homer Simpson's dad shaking his fist at a cloud. You have no idea what I'm capable of. And then we're led to believe that single-handedly he beat the two of them up. B- Stephen did. Is he the Hulk? That's the only explanation I can think of. I can't is remember. That he goes around the corner and he actually becomes the Incredible Hulk. He throws one of them into a wall. I wonder- it's so stupid. It's like, and they're terrified of this middle-aged no. loser. An old man. He's an old man. He's retirement age. It's like in his 60s, right? Yeah, that's not middle-aged, unless he's planning to live to 120. Well, most of us are. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sarah's meeting up with American business people who sound like they're from London. And of course they conduct... Yeah, I this, was very confused by that. Of course they conduct this meeting in Speeddal. 
But later, they're about to shake on a deal when Stephen comes along and decides that the buyers can go a bit higher. Sarah's not impressed that Stephen's muscling in on her deal, but he is successful in getting a 5% improved offer. Back at the factory though, Carla isn't happy that Stephen had anything to do with the deal as she specifically asked Sarah to handle it. Right. But she has to pretend to be happy because after all, it's more money and that's them now set up in North America and Europe. Nice. Big time for the knicker people. Yeah. How are they ever going to manage that many orders? It doesn't make any sense. Oh, maybe that's a problem that's coming up here. Anyway, that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. What a fucking asshole. <laughs> I am so sick of his shit. He murders men, but he just tortures women mm. and gaslights them and gets away with it. It's like, oh, cool. I hear he's tripping balls. This must be the time he finally gets called out. Yep. Nope. No, no. What? What is going on here? I'm, I'm, I know you find him amusing. Well, I find that part of it very amusing. Yeah, I, the Sarah's face melting and stuff, that was funny. But then, like, the aftermath, it's just, it's getting on my nerves I, so I liked, much. I, I just want him to go away. I like to tripping all the way through Thursday mm-hmm. up to the, the proposal, yeah. in inverted commas, because you don't know how high he is at that point right you think that because he trip seems is like over. he's starting to come down but when you see his point of view of tim's mum, she's there's like mm-hmm. this this tunnel vision sort of going around right. her head right so he's not quite back down he's no. not seeing dead people anymore it's an improvement yeah. right so he's coming down and the introspection that he's gotten from this trip totally gone You'd think maybe he would at least gain some empathy for what he put Carla through. And that's no. that's where I thought we were going with this. That he realized, oh my God, this is much, much more horrible than I imagined. Right. And I've been doing this to Carla repeatedly. Right. And that does not happen. No. Because he hates strong women. And no. you know what they say about the women on the street? They're so, so strong. So very, very so strong. Very strong. So very strong. Oh, just the strong, strongest strong woman such strong women so very strong very soft strong and very very long no so i've drawn comparisons with uh american cycle uh-huh the canadian cycle right right but that's a similar mo the characters the male characters in the american cycle are dispatched very very quickly yes paul allen uh, takes an axe to the back of the head. Right. Another one, is, I think, is shot. Right. The woman, not so much. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to watching American Psycho in my Christian Bale rewatch. Have you watched it? I've seen bits of it. I haven't seen it all the way through. I wonder, because I, I went to the movies to see it. Uh-huh. And I've seen it since. I mm-hmm. haven't seen it in the, in the longest time. I, I wonder what I would feel about it now. I I thought they did about, I think it was Mary Hannon, Mary Hannon that directed right, it. Right, yeah, it's a female director. I think she did as good a job as anyone could have done with that novel. Yeah. That's, that's fair enough. And, I, and that might be a good thing or a bad thing. Right. But anyway. Anyway. So yeah, so... We don't feel any further forward, but we do feel that Stephen 
is collecting problems. That's been him since he came back. He's been collecting problems. Right, and, and none of them have come problem, to fruition. His next problem is, what on earth is he going to do with Tim's mum? Well, obviously he's going to marry her and then murder her for her money. You think? I don't know. Tim's never going to put up with us. Tim's suspicious of him anyway. Right. Peter has been suspicious of him and then kind of let it go a little bit. Right. What I was disappointed about, because we heard about this happening mm-hmm. ahead of time, obviously. Yes. Because you couldn't miss it. No. I hoped that Carla would see, would be there, would be present mm-hmm. to see what happened to him. Right. And put two and two together. And yeah. And so, well, he seems to be behaving kind of like I feel. Right. I was behaving. And then she gets the upper hand and realises what's been going on. Here's the thing. Rufus was in that audience. And Rufus did have a look he about him. He did have a look on his face when he's sitting he in that audience. Yeah. what's going on here. Yeah. So I wonder if that's going to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, a very sly little two-second right, cut before, shot. Right, before the audience turned into dead Teds and dead Leos. Yeah, he just looked up and he cocked his head and kind of frowned mm-hmm. as if, are you tripping balls right now? Yeah. On my acid, you bastard. Yeah. You nicked my bloody watch as well, I bet you. Yeah. Yeah, there was something going on. I, I hope that was a little hint that he knows something. Because be quite. Would it be good for Stephen to get his comeuppance from someone who's even worse than he is? Or I think I want Carla to be the one that's responsible for his downfall eventually. Mm-hmm. But. Oh well. Oh well. Let's move on to our next storyline, which is Paul's right hand problems. But not like that. On Monday, Paul is in Nina's Rolls getting breakfast ahead of his first day back at work for a week. Woohoo! He turns up to Ed's eager to get going and earn a wedge again. Ed tells him to take it easy on his first day and tells him to stack some boards while he goes off for a shite. And sweep up. Then Paul bends down to tie shoelaces and complete a Rubik's Cube. But his hands don't work. Nope. Despite this, he attempts to saw the boards in half, which he wasn't asked to do. Right. While and was also, specifically told not to do. While also threading a needle. Ed <laughs> sees him about to saw his hand off and hits the emergency breaker, sending Paul home for another couple of days, but reassuring him that his job is going nowhere. Paul makes a plea to start earning money again, but it cuts no cheese, just like Paul when he attempts to do so later. Yikes. Yeah, Ed was really good here. Yes, he was. Because if it wasn't for Ed... Paul is losing fingers. At least cutting the tip of his finger off yeah. with that barn saw. And I I don't think you could really want more from your employer than what Paul gets. Ed yeah. has been very understanding about this and saying your job is safe and secure, but I can't have you on the site. Right. Because you're a liability, son. Absolutely. Back at Billy's, Paul explains what happened with the saw and admits that he hadn't been right since the accident. And because he can't work, this means he can't help out Gemma. Gemma, though, as predicted, is understanding, but suggests that maybe Paul should get in touch with the solicitor. He's out of pocket, and it's Carla's fault. Paul doesn't want to go down that road, but Billy thinks he's due some fucking compo. Which is an opinion that you really want from your archdeacon. Get some fucking compo out of this. Yeah, he's not speaking as an archdeacon, though. He's speaking as a boyfriend who wants a... Cheeky wee weekend vacation. <laughs> With maybe a speedboat Ooh. and a jigsaw. Nice. And some poppers. A jigsaw puzzle. Oh, yeah. Not like an actual jigsaw because that would be dangerous. Yeah. With Fur Paul. 
Paul has one last go at trying to get back to work, but Ed stands his ground. Nothing's changed. He can't let Paul back at work until he's fit. So with all other avenues exhausted, Paul agrees to take Carla to the cleaners and enlists Dee's legal services in the pursuit of such. Dee says it'll be an insurance claim and not out of Carla's pocket personally, so here's £5 on Carla not having insurance, I wrote at the time. <laughs> Gemma here was not being the kind of money-grabbing no. Gemma that you think she could be here. Right, yeah. She- she's, but she's like you're out of pocket and it's not fair because this wasn't your fault right that you were sitting on a stationary motorbike that toppled over right good sister good sister stuff yes on thursday peter comes into the factory to talk to carla about the accident it turns out carla oh no she wasn't insured to drive the van after all right she has insurance but not to drive the van Meanwhile, Paul is at Dr. Gadas, who thinks he has a bruised nerve and it's probably going to keep him off work until it heals, which is maybe three months or so. She tells him that he needs to rest up. Gemma reminds him about soon Carla's arse out of her ear holes. Later, Peter invites Paul over to his fancy earthy flat and offers him 15 grand in full and complete settlement for the accident. Paul's eyes turn to pound signs and he bites Peter's hand off to accept it. This means that he sold the watch, yes? Yeah. Because he's got the 15 grand. Yeah. Because he wouldn't have 15 grand otherwise. He This 15 grand is burning such a hole in Peter's pocket. It's ridiculous. Because he wanted to give it away to Carl in the last storyline, and right. now he's wanting to give it to Paul in this one. Yeah. Easy come, easy go with Peter, right? Right. Well, at least with Carla, he'd be enjoying it with her. Yes, on a speedboat. Right. And he's doing this for her. Hmm. Back at the law office, Dee Dee tells Paul to give the money back. This is less than a year's wage and no one has any precise idea of how long he's going to be off work. Paul doesn't want to stiff anyone because it really was an accident, but not like that. But Dee Dee's quite right here. It's like, you have, she absolutely You have is. absolutely no idea how long this is going to be. You want to accept 15 grand and then you're off work for two years? Right, yeah. She's right as a solicitor and as a friend. Mm-hmm. This is why they're roommates. <laughs> right. For this storyline. In the pub, Peter is doing impressions of robots when Paul and Dee Dee come in and Paul tells them that he sent the money back. Nothing personal. They have to go through the insurance company. Carl admits that she wasn't insured. Uh-oh, says Dee Dee, and she points out that this means that they will have to sue Carla personally. Bum, bum, bum. And later, Paul is joined by Gemma and they assess the curse of the Winter family, always living hand to mouth. Paul wants to get back to work more than he really wants the money, or so it sounds. Gemma thinks the compo will soften the blow. And he's going to be one of the first people in the family to actually have a little bit of money about them. Nice. I think that rather than Peter offering 15 grand as a one-off payment, Mm -hmm. what Carla should do is, I'll pay your wage until you're back at work. Yeah. You've still got regular money coming in. Right. You're not losing any money. Right. You can... You can maybe, I guess, save a little bit more because you're not mm-hmm. going to be having to travel and, and, and stuff like that. And right. You could help Kirk pack <clears throat> boxes. That that would be something that he could do that wouldn't threaten his hands being cut off. That factory has taken in a massive new order. Right. They've broken America, Helen. Yes, they've broken America. Surely they can just... Summer doesn't work there anymore, I don't think. Who knows? Paul used to work there. Right. 
Craig used to work there. Yeah. There's people there that Where don't... Where has Craig been? Shush. <laughs> well, they brought Faye back, so Craig we, can't be far behind. We can make up new positions at that factory that Carla's more than happy to pay for. Just create a fake position for Paul and just pay him until he's better. Yeah. So let's say I'll pay you for the next six months and then we'll mm-hmm. reevaluate. Mm-hmm. And then problem goes away, doesn't it? Does he yeah. need to have a lump sum? Uh, if he needs a lump sum, give him the 15 grand. Here's the 15 grand as a lump sum. And for the next six months, you have, in inverted commas, you work at the factory. Right. Yeah, he doesn't even have to show up. No. Because if he shows up, that's not really compensation. That's a wage. Yeah. Which would be different. I don't know. There's probably There's probably a legal issue. Why they can't do it that way, which I'm sure Dee Dee knows. Because that could that could very easily be manipulated. I think. Well, it could be manipulated by Paul, but it doesn't seem to be the one who's wanting to manipulate things. And Carla doesn't have options here. Not really, because she doesn't have a huge amount of money to pay. No, the million pounds that Paul's maybe seen articles. You know what's going to happen? Well, Well, we'll we'll get to that, I guess. Well, it's not going to happen this week, obviously. On Friday, Paul is on the phone to a loan company, but tells Billy that he's speaking with Dee Dee. So that's mysterious, isn't it, Helen? Yeah, I was very confused by that. Because <laughs> it was like, it sounds like he's speaking to a loan, but now he's saying that he was speaking to Dee Dee. And I can understand why he would have forms to sign with Dee Dee as well. Hmm. What's going on here? Well, just you hold your horses. So he heads to Nina's Rolls, where Ed tells him to come back to work as soon as he's ready. And he's booked in for a physio. Ed checks that he's going to be okay for money in the meantime and Paul says there are no worries on that front, Squire. At home, Paul's dodgy wanking claw means that Billy has to be the masculine one and open the jar of pickled cucumbers. And then and Paul, also be the top. Then Paul gets a text and rushes off to the bank, or so we think, because next we see he's round at Gemma's and he presents Chauncey with the cash for the gas bill. He's taken out Ta-da. a loan... He's taken out a loan that he'll repay once his compo comes through. Yeah, a loan of 15 grand. No. Isn't the, it? No, it was four grand was their gas bill. Right, yeah, but I think he took out more than w- the four grand. I think the loan was for more than I don't four think grand. We, I don't think we ever find out. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was also 15 grand, and I found that amusing. Then Ed is in the kebab shop. Who and- gave Paul a <coughs> loan? This is what I want to know. Why is it you? the ghost of Rick the Chin? <laughs> well, we'll learn later that from Billy that it seems like it's one of those payday loan people. Which, uh, which, which is awful because terrible. he's not going to get a paycheck anytime mm, no. soon. Which kind of means that the payday loan company really shouldn't have given him the loan. Right, yeah, and the interest is going to be exorbitant. Ed is in the kebab house and gets his donor because guess what? Aggie still can't cook. Uh-huh. And it's on the house from Chauncey, grateful that Ed is keeping Paul's job open. In comes Billy, and through a convoluted exchange, it comes out that Paul has got a loan to pay off Gemma's gas bill. So back home, Billy challenges Paul about the loan stuff. He thinks that he should cancel it, but Paul refuses. He's helping his family, and if worse comes to worse, he has Peter's 15 grand to fall back on. And that's as far as we get with that. I no longer thought that Peter's 15 grand was on the table. No, I didn't think so either. Peter's given it to you, you've given it back. I think that's that's now a dead deal right so obviously impetuous paul trying to do the right thing here yeah 
This is why that family has no money because they're so impetuous. <laughs> right. right. So he's taken out a loan to pay Gemma's gas bill after also promising to help with the wedding, but we'll not mention that. No. On the assumption that he's going to get compo. So clearly he's not going to get compo then. He's going to get compo. And then he's going to be left with a ridiculous loan or the compo's not going to pay out for ages. And Right. Well, it's not going to pay out for ages because it takes forever. Mm. And you know what? I'm hoping happens that in the midst of all of this, it is discovered that Stephen drugged Carla. So it's actually Stephen's fault that she was behind that wheel. Yeah, this becomes more so complicated, he becomes, it? So he becomes the one who needs to compensate Paul. Mm. That's what I would like to happen. I don't think it's going to happen because that's kind of convoluted. But still, let's, let's get to the real villain here. Yeah, no, well, that, would, that certainly would be true. It becomes a, a kind of difficult thing to prove, probably, but mm. but still, Paul just can't catch a break, though. I mean, no. he's got all this Andy's back with Billy. I mean... Poor guy. Just, my heart's bleeding for him. Mm, me too. But at least still, Ed is going to be keeping that job open until hell freezes over. That's right. Being such a nice guy. He is a nice guy. Yeah, I don't think there's much else to talk about there, so let me just grab my guitar here. No. And my pick. He said pick, people. Stop with the Ofcom complaints. Instead of Plectrum? Instead of instead of Dick. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Let me just get <clears throat> Justin Stalking's rights again. Do you know how painful that is in my ears? Again. It's so painful. So painful. You thought Bob Dylan singing Mr. Tambourine Man was painful. That nobody's, is much less painful. Nobody's paying me for that shit. Yeah, so No one's stop, paying me. So stop doing it. <laughs> Justin Stockings rides again. On Monday, in Nina's Rolls, Daisy gets a cake alert. The cake. caterers are sending seven wedding cake samples to number one today. Woohoo! Daniel wants her to go to the police about the confrontation with Justin yesterday, i.e. last week, but she doesn't reckon they'll care based on them not caring. At number one, Ken, Jenny, Daniel, Gemma and Daisy are all gathered for the cake tasting, but it's Justin who delivers them. Daisy is furious. He doesn't see it again and apologises for the other night and he thinks that they bring out the passion in each other. What? Fuck off, she insists. Yay. He gives her the cakes and drives off, giving her a friendly toot toot from his van. Fuck you. Daniel comes along too late. Too late, Daniel. That's, that's par for the course. So now everyone is sitting in the front room and number one worried about tasting the cakes. Not Gemma, though. She's willing to take the risk. Well, Daniel thinks the medical centre is just around the corner. Yes. Ken thinks Gemma is young and strong. Yes. And Jenny simply doesn't care. Because the women on the street, so strong. So very strong. So very, very strong. So Gemma tastes the cakes with predictable and messy results. Yes. This was hilarious as well. This this was funny. This was (laughs) funny, especially the ginger cake incident. I like ginger cake. Why does Gemma hate ginger cake? I'm sure there were little 
unscripted moments during that as she's eating the cakes right. where Jim's saying, oh, there's a pink one there. Oh, I need to try this one. Mm-hmm. She's just muttering under yeah. her breath. It's great. <laughs> just so messy by the time she gets to the rhubarb and custard one. Absolutely. <laughs> Later, Daniel finds Daisy and Nina's roles. Despite Daniel a couple of weeks ago worrying about taking a day off for his wedding in a few months' time, he's decided not to go back to work after lunch. Daisy explains how devastated she is that Justin is everywhere she turns, how he ruined the dress fitting and now the cake tasting. She doesn't feel safe. He decides to have another word with a delivery company. My hero, she says. Mm-hmm. After work, Daniel comes into Rovers and confirms that he got nowhere with a delivery company who suggests if they have a complaint, they need to put it in writing. Now, You're a waste of skin, says Daisy. Here's the thing. If a courier, if anybody, does a bad job, or makes you uncomfortable or something, you should be able to file a complaint with the company and be assured that that person won't be sent to your house again. Mm -hmm. You would think that that would be that businesses would want to keep people happy, especially customers who, let's remember, are always right. And also remember, Daisy is an influencer here. Yeah. She could be lambasting this I don't understand why she's not. Left and right. Yeah. I don't understand why she's not. I don't understand why she's not going on to social media and complaining about being stalked. Right. Because remember, remember when she thought it was that other guy who was doing the stalking? P. Gate Lynn. Yeah. She got right. It wasn't P. Gate Lynn. That's Maria. But anyway, she got right on there. Actually, she's not the one who got on there. It was Todd. Todd got on her social media and wrote as her about this asshole following around oh, and stalking yeah, yeah, yeah. and making her uncomfortable. Where's Todd? Todd, get back in here. Let's focus on one thing at a time. Get back on the social media and talk about this creepy, creepy guy who's stalking you. Mm. Back home, Daniel confides in Ken. He's worried about Bertie for some reason and thinks maybe <laughs> it'll be safer for them all to move, although that means Justin wins. Don't move because of Justin, says Ken. Move because of Tracy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely move, but don't move because of him. Right. On Thursday, Daisy's not having a good day. Her hairstylist has cancelled on her. Jenny suggests that Daisy goes to Maria. But Maria isn't good enough for Daisy, as all she does is hair for people in their 80s who don't care anymore. Which, which is, is not a shame true. because Maria's standing right behind her and overhears all this and storms off in a huff. And that was pretty funny because that was pretty funny. Daisy's like, Oh, hi, Maria. And Daisy's like, I'm not, I'm not falling, falling for that. For that. Oops, oh, hi, Maria. Hi, Maria. So Daisy goes to the salon later to apologise. She explains that she has an awful lot on her plate at the moment and it's no excuse for being a cow, but she's not handling it very well. Mm-hmm. Maria notices that something's wrong, especially when she hears the incessant notifications from Daisy's phone. So two of them have a coffee and Daisy explains her long story. Maria has some experience <clears throat> and talks about that time a creep put a tracking device in her bag. But Maria's, yeah, thank God Justin hasn't done that yet. Yeah, but Maria's solution of going to the police hasn't worked so far for Daisy. She tells Daisy to put the pressure on them and not take no for an answer. Otherwise, who knows, she could be dead in a ditch next. Mm-hmm. It's always in a ditch, isn't it? Absolutely. She doesn't really know what she's dealing with. And this is absolutely true. You don't know mm-hmm. what he's capable of. He might be harmless, no. but you don't know that. Right. On Friday, Daisy is still talking about hair. She tells Jenny about her conversation with Maria and she's now determined to get the coppers to do their job and give her a stocking protection order, or an SPO. 
Later, Daisy gets news that the police have agreed to apply for the SPO and she enlists the services of Adam, who has to warn her that these things are notoriously difficult to get approved. But Daisy and the police are both confident. Mmm, says Adam. Mm. Later, Daisy's mum, whose name I can't remember, comes into the Rovers asking Daisy to come out for dinner with her. Daisy says, I am literally working. Her mum thinks the SPO is an overreaction to what was just some chocolates and flowers. And I'm not sure how she knows about this anyway. Well, because she was here when it first started, remember? Yeah. And she said that whole thing about chocolates and flowers then. But then she was also there when it started to get even worse. So I thought she was on Daisy's side now. And all of a sudden now she's not on Daisy's side again. And... And is back before the wedding when she, when she said, said she, she wasn't going, going to be. What's going on here, Broom? Daisy reluctantly agrees to meet her for lunch tomorrow. Daisy checks with Jenny. Is she going OTT about this SPO? Jenny insists not. And then Daisy gets a batch of new texts from Justin, very upset to receive his court summons. How did they get the number? Because Daisy only gave it out to friends and family. How indeed. Has he gotten the number, Broom? How indeed? Are you referring to something that hasn't happened yet? Yes, I am. <laughs> well, let's not do that. Let's let's try and maintain... Oh, I hate it for lots of things that do happen this week. Yeah, well, let's just maintain the illusion that you don't read spoilers. I don't, I don't I, read spoilers. I, don't read I spoilers. get emails with spoilers in them. I don't click From on those who? articles. From who? Google. I have a Google alert for Coronation Street. You know this. And yet... It's my job. And yet, Corey News this is had what, the same article from a couple of weeks ago. This is something that Google does. I, I really, really, really liked, and I have to say, I really, really liked the cake tasting thing yes, that and, was I, and I really really liked how nobody particularly gave a shit about what happens to Gemma despite the fact <laughs> that es- she's a mother of four most especially five. most most especially and specifically Gemma doesn't give a fuck about what happens to Gemma no that's the part that's amusing she volunteers she signs herself up as tribute but this in ha- her own particular Hunger Game. But this happens, hunger for cake. This happens in the middle of a really, really serious storyline. <laughs> yes. And it, I do, and I think we all do. We yes, all we do. like the, the light to contrast the dark. And yes. I just I don't know that it didn't feel a bit misplaced, sticking it there at that moment. However, it I was felt like it was a relief. However, it, it was, was really funny and it looked like it was an absolute hoot and a half to film. I, yes. I, I guess everyone in the number one set that day. It looked like they were having a hard time keeping their faces straight. Yeah. But this is a storyline. Mm-hmm. This is not the first storyline that we've talked about no. today that is a story about the abuse of a woman. Yes. We've got Stephen and his shenanigans with right. Carla. Paul is all Paul, but that's but that storyline's about someone with a bruised nerve. Right. So you have the, the male-focused storyline of Paul with his bruised nerve. You have Carla, who's being drugged by 
by Stephen, and then right. you have this elongated storyline with. And I'm with still Daisy mad about this pinch nerve because he was gently bumped off of a bike. Alia was stabbed <clears throat> and blown up. Blown up. And she's fine. Well, physically. Yeah, but that shouldn't be the case either. No. This is kind of my issue with this this whole week. Mm-hmm. We're just making really, really dark things happen to the young woman in the show. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, this and has it, been a it, complaint for like over a year now. It is, but it it feels like there's an awful lot of it going on at the same time. And, yes, and it and, gets worse. And, you know, we've had the whole summer extravaganza, which was mostly focused on the one the one person, but just for like 18 months of it. Right. But We've had the whole Alia issue. But there's an awful lot going on here that's kind of at, the, at a, a similar level of darkness that's happening right. at the same time. And, and it, it feels a little burdensome. Yes. Which is why I'm so cynical about the whole announcement that they're only going to give hope, shiny, happy storylines from now on. Right. Yeah. Suiting to her age. So Justin isn't happy about this. Uh, the summons I was surprised that this is the way that it works that you have to go to court and confront the person that you're accusing of this this seems a little torturing the victim a a little bit here well they want to give the other person a right to reply a a right to reply I guess the one time I have filed for a restraining order Buckle up, listeners. Yeah, the other person was not there. I just filed it, and then I went before the judge, and the judge granted it, like, almost immediately. And and that was that. The problem arises later when that person shows up, mm. and you have to call the police, and you have to explain that you do, you do in fact, have a restraining order, and you have to sh- prove it by showing them the paperwork, and... You know, while also trying to keep this person out of your house. Right. So it's always messy. And it doesn't always work. And you hear all the time about women who have gotten restraining orders and end up dead anyway. So. Well, yeah, that's one thing. The other thing is about it being difficult to to get. It can be. Well, and, and I'm sure it can. I don't really know that I understand why. Because because nobody believes women. Well, well, let's say that you know this, especially courts. He has he has no business being round about her anyway. Right. So the fact that even if she doesn't deserve to get one, what harm is it doing? But it's it's the fact that she has to prove that he has no business being around her anyway, because it could be a form of he said she said. She can say. Oh, he has no business around me. I have no relationship with this person. I don't want to have a relationship with this person. I'm in a relationship with this other person. No, no, honestly, this person. Yeah, seriously, that that guy. That big drink of water. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. And he could get up before the judge and say, no, that's not true. We're in a very loving relationship and she's just mad at me for some reason. I guess. And, you know, how do you prove that what he's saying isn't true? Because it's Rob. I mean, this is going to sound unnecessarily light uh-huh. but I loved seeing my delivery driver because it's the same Amazon guy that drives around this neighbourhood right. every day and he waves and I wave back and our mail lady is one of the 
most wonderful people in the world. <laughs> right. And she loves our cat. It's one of life's free little niceties right. of having interaction with these people. And to be robbed of that as well as... Don't get me wrong, that's not the most important thing right. to be happening here. But it's just yet another thing yeah. to be robbed of. And also getting packages is nice. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sad that she now dreads getting a package. And that phone, honestly, put that fucking thing on silent. Yeah. Because that beeping, beeping, beeping is just a, right. it's a panic attack in your pocket. Well, it's a device to show that she's getting all of them I, so that I, Maria notices. I, I guess, but the but vibration still. makes a noise. Just do that. Yeah. Uh, oh, I hate, I hate Justin much, much more than I hate Stephen. Justin hasn't killed anybody yet. I know. And yet I hate him much, much more. He doesn't bother me as much as Stephen. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, he bothers me. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, at least he's only gaslighting one woman. Stephen is gaslighting every woman he meets. <laughs> True. And Daniel's been really useful. I guess. Moving on. Our next storyline is Darian's work here is done. Yeah. <laughs> he has solved racism, people. On Monday, at the Rose Gold Flat, Maria has a book of exposition, things that she needs to say right now in front of people. Turns out P. Gate Lane has somehow got off with funding terrorism, but he's admitted to being Maria's troll and so is banned from looking at her ever again. In comes Darren with exciting news of his own. He's been able to track down his brother to Nottingham. Huzzah! Through a refugee charity, but has been unable to find contact details, which is weird. In Nina's roles, Gary and Maria offer Darren the money to go to Nottingham and blindly search for his brother. Darren wants to do this himself until Evelyn sticks her nose in and convinces him to take all the support he's offered. So Darren agrees. Yes, that, and that was really lovely. It's really nice the way she put it, you know, because she equates it with the fact that she lost her family for many years and just got them back and you know and she doesn't want to see him make the same mistakes i love evelyn just randomly being in nina's roles and sticking her nose into other people's storylines well the, re- the reason that i liked her intervention here because it felt like it, oh we're just adding this into to make the scene longer because we've got time to fill mm-hmm. which may still have been the case correct but the additional thing that she's doing there is she's distracting everyone from the fact that she's, she's not going to pay for her she's food. not going to pay for she's her coffee and her sticky bun yeah that was hilarious there's a hastily arranged party in Nina's roles to say goodbye to Darian and Maria gives a lovely speech and Gary gives him a hug I thought I was just going away for the day and then I'd come back nope, nope. you're gone for good now that racism storyline is done so off you fuck says Nina <laughs> says Nina but there's one last place Darren has to go and he goes to see Alia the two of them have built a connection over the last few weeks and they share an emotional goodbye Griff and Blake never stood a chance against them although with the explosion and the stabbing they both gave it a damn good try correct and that's all that happens in that this week and I'm kind of sad to see Darren go he didn't even Me get too. a didn't he doesn't even, even get, get a black, black cab, cab. No, he's getting picked. His social worker. His social worker is giving him a ride to the train station. And then he's just going to be wandering about. He's not got a place to live. I think. I think he has made contact with the refugee center there, so there are people who can help him connect with his brother. Just not not through phones. Yeah, and I'm sure that his brother has a phone. It's probably very difficult to contact, though, especially if his brother 
is is still in the process of becoming legal. You know, he's probably not tra- not wanting to broadcast his location until that becomes secure. Well, so is Darren at this point. And, yeah. and they don't like you moving about when you're going no. through this process, talking from experience. No. They like you to stay in the one place. Yeah, they don't want you driving back and forth between Michigan and Connecticut multiple times. No, they were very, they were unhappy that I had moved and not told them. Which, when I think about it, was a, pretty much me dropping the ball on that. But yeah, yeah, shouldn't have, shouldn't have been doing that. No. Yeah, it feels like it's a bit of a shame here that Darian was a a lovely, a lovely yeah. character. He was a good kid, and wouldn't it have been nice to have? And a- he had a place in school. Remember, he was in the school. He was an established member of the community. Why does he have to move to Nottingham to locate his brother? And have a connection with his brother? And it's his older Can't brother, remember? And... Can't his brother come to Weatherfield? Right. Can't he just go and visit and then come back? Well, that's what I thought they were talking about. Right. Then, then all, then of, a all of a sudden he's leaving forever. Centurion. I don't understand this at all. This character should have stayed. Imagine 10 years from now, he's still in the show. The show's got new viewers who don't remember his, his origin story. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, this, this guy's been in the street forever. Oh, he started off being a refugee. Yeah. I just think that would have been lovely to yeah, have. Yeah, it would have been really nice. Uh, you know? Fuck you very much, Coronation Street. Right. And also, let's remember, the ratio of young men to young women in this show mm. is very, very off. We need all the young men we can get, especially straight ones. I've read that graffiti. <laughs> Moving on to our next storyline, Happy with Craig. On Monday, Michael is late for work and complains to Faye about Glory being an arse, but isn't it great having a toddler? Then Michael remembers that Faye gave up her baby, but it's too late. And also can't have more. And Faye is in a strop, insisting that she doesn't miss being a mum, and her life with Craig is wonderful, and nobody believes her. And also, she has a hard time getting Craig out of his jammies as well. (laughs) I can believe that. (laughs) Later, Sally asks Faye if she wants to go out for a takeaway tonight, but Faye explains the reason for her stroppiness. Jackson has moved back to the UK. Aha. Uh-huh. Then she has to explain who Jackson is to Sally. He's Miley's dad. Right. Then uh, she has to Sally ex- have known this? Then she has to explain who Miley is to Sally. She's a daughter that she gave up. Sally eventually thinks this is great news, but Faye thinks it's the worst news ever because Faye. Faye explains that she's tied a bow in the whole Miley thing. She's made a piece with it. This is just picking at old scabs. So she's decided to delete Jackson's message and pretend it never happened. And the rovers later, Sally thinks that Faye should speak to Tim about it and that push Craig. But Faye wants no one to know. And she makes Sally promise not to spill. On Thursday, Sally isn't about to let this go because Sally remembers a mostly positive relationship with her girls, one of whom is a Christian and a lesbian. Yes. So when Michael is having childcare issues when Alad has the scoots or something, Sally offers to look after her. And let's just say right now, Glory is adorable. She is so cute. And her favourite toy is named after Maya Angelou. It's a doll of Maya Angelou. Oh, is it a doll of her? Yes. Excellent. When Michael leaves, and Sally's a fan. Yes, she she actually got to see Maya Angelou mm-hmm. at one point, and that's that's very impressive. Right. 
that that she took the time to go and listen to my Angelou read poetry and and be inspirational and lovely. Maybe a perk of being Weatherfield's mayor. Ah, maybe. When Michael leaves, Faye comes down the stairs of Discovery after discovering that the new toilet paper is fabulous. But then she sees what's going on and wonders why they have a toddler in the house. But before Sally can answer, she has to take an imaginary call from Tim and she rushes out, leaving <laughs> Faye literally holding the baby. Sally, the only person in Weatherfield who knows how to use the silent and her phone, <laughs> yeah. or at least lie about it. Oh, my phone's ringing. Really? Because it didn't sound like... No, it's on silent. Uh-huh. Then how would you know? When Sally comes back, Michael has picked Glory up and Faye is furious. Yeah, as she should be. <clears throat> She asks Sally to respect her decision, not pull any wacky stunts like this again, and then she goes back up the stairs of Discovery for round two with that wonderful toilet paper. Yes. That's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, I, I like this. I think this is good. And I think this is this is a worthy topic to to broach. You know, that, this one? the fact This yes. one that we just talked about? Yeah. This one. Not everybody wants kids. No. And you know, and the the way Sally and some some other people are are treating this is like Faye doesn't have a right to make this decision, and obviously she does have a right to make this decision. She made this decision years ago, and she wants to stick with it. And she makes this excellent point about the fact that you know, yet yeah, she gave this daughter up. And so now people are going to think that because she has now discovered that she can't have any more children, that she will want to have a relationship with this child that she hasn't seen since it was born, essentially. Since Miley was an infant. It's been a while. It's been but six seven years. years. Six years. You know, and people are like, oh, no, once you have her, once you meet her, it'll all just be come back and it's the most wonderful thing in the world and every you know everybody should have the chance to experience this i love being a parent i love my kids they are they are not always perfect and they are not always easy to live with <laughs> but i love them nonetheless and and i really do feel in some ways they've they've saved my life and they've made my life better just by existing but i have friends who have no kids never had any interest in having kids and that's fine too and i don't understand why people on both sides feel it necessary to treat people who think differently from them like they're the most horrible people in the world mm. You know, and this tends this tends to happen more with people who have kids. Sally. Yeah. Yeah. The Sallies of the world who say, Oh, don't you want kids? You know, a woman's life is not fulfilled until she has kids. And kids are the best thing that will ever happen to you. You're putting this earth to have kids. Right. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the truth. And it doesn't have to be the truth, you know? We have enough people on this earth. We have too many people on this earth. So it's all right if some people choose not to procreate. That's fine. Well, and I like that they're kind of addressing it in kind of a unique storyline, whereas Faye has had a child. She gave her up. 
she gave her up to the father essentially so it's so i feel like it's kind of more awkward than if she had actually put her up for adoption Mm. the way abby's kids have been but you know abby was born to be a mother apparently i don't know we haven't seen alfie in ages his birthday coming up yeah and yet we haven't seen him the last time I remember him was when uh, Jack was pushing him in his stroller. Right, over along the, the cobblestones. cobblestones. That poor kid's probably still shaking. Giving him shaking baby syndrome. So yeah, I this is this is a face storyline that I don't currently hate. Once Craig comes into it, I'll probably <laughs> start hating it. But that's neither here nor there. Well, this is a storyline that was always going to happen if Faye was still on the show. This is a loose end that is been tugged at again mm-hmm. she's got this kind of outstanding non-resolved relationship although it's resolved as far as she's concerned mm-hmm. with her ex and her her kid right the fact that she doesn't want to have a relationship with a kid i think is supposedly an alien concept to, right. to many people particularly sally, sally. but but yeah, that, that part of it, if the storyline, unfortunately the storyline isn't going to be Faye doesn't want to have a relationship with his child when it comes back to the UK, so she doesn't have a relationship right. with his child. Right, and everyone respects her decision. Yeah, that's obviously not going no, to happen. No, that's obviously, what's going to happen is they're going to try to force this child on her, which is going to traumatise the child mm. and traumatise Faye. And I guess she's right about how it all kind of generates the old feelings about not being able to have children again having any contact whatsoever is is obviously just going to reignite all those feelings which she did have a bit of a hard time coming to terms with it seems that she has come to terms with it right she's just so stroppy she's just so stroppy about everything well she has a right to because she has to deal with sally (laughs) this is true (laughs) <laughs> she doesn't live there anymore, though, so she should have... Yeah, I don't understand. Oh, because Sally invited her over for lunch, remember? Mm. This is all Sally's fault. <laughs> I hope Faye steals all of the plush toilet paper and mm. takes it back to her flat as retribu- retribution. I was just pleased that we got a stairs of discovery again. Yes. I haven't had that in the longest thing. Yes, and lots of glory. Because we didn't mention... The fact that Michael and Glory model the outfits yes. in in the in the other storyline because we were so obsessed with Stephen tripping balls mm-hmm. because that was adorable too. Michael with his "You Are My Sunshine" t shirt on mm-hmm. and Glory in her sunshine t shirt that was so cute. I liked that. Good job. It's not exactly the most original idea no but it's adorable it's got live laugh loud live laugh loud live laugh love. live laugh love i thought it was on the back i thought it was really weird later on in nina's roles when bernie was saying that they should have both been in dresses and that gender is a concept oh bernie was weird this week she was very weird this week all right moving on we've got a couple of really quick storylines to get through the first one is Vosh brown dirk technic what on thursday at the garage as Abby wants to talk about Alfie's first birthday party, it is Garage. Alfie, isn't it? Kev takes a call from a German hospital 
Dein Vater hatte einen Herzinfarkt. Your father's had a heart attack. That's correct. He calls Debbie at the rape hotel to let her know. And the two of them are booked on a flight to get across there tonight. In the meantime, he's spoken to the hospital and they've told him, kind of under shade. No change. That's all that happens there. Yes. So, Kevin, Kevin, Debbie, going out of the show for a little bit. Did we know that their father was still alive? Well, in real life, the actor passed away uh, a number of years ago. Oh, my God. So we're so, not going to see any scenes then. No. So it kind of feels like I'm sure this isn't the case. That they just remembered that he's dead. <laughs> yes. So they need to tie up loose ends. Yeah. I'm sure that's not the case. Let me just be absolutely clear about that. But yeah, Peter Armitage, he passed away in November 2018. My God, that that's a long time to not tie up loose ends. Yeah, that predates Corey News. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure that would have been a that would have been an item on it if there wasn't any football on that week. <laughs> <laughs> Too dry to snow. Too dry. Thunder snow. The next one is I'd forgotten this was even a thing. Mm. On Friday, Hope and Sam are at the bus stop. She's upset with him. He doesn't know why. She tells him that everyone thinks she's a liar after that whole Beth thing from a couple of weeks ago that we'd forgotten about. Yeah. And uh, as the two of them are talking, Beth walks by by with a kind of uneasy side eye. Later, Beth sees Tyrone in the pub and they chat over the lying thing that was sorted out weeks ago and Beth, like the audience, wants to forget all about it. Then Hope and Sam meet up in Nina's roles and Sam is a great friend to her and doesn't want Beth to get away with us. He encourages her to speak to her folks and tell them the truth, but she wants to just let it go. Yeah, she's already done that and they didn't believe her. Right. And he says something about the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, which is what they told her. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that. Yes. Hope and Sam together is wonderful. As long as they keep it platonic. No, I'm just really worried because they're like, they're like we're going to give Hope shiny, happy preteen love stories well, in the future. even if they were to get together, can you imagine what that relationship is going to be like? It's going to be adorable. They're already adorable as friends. <sighs> Why ruin it? What's a boyfriend and girlfriend at that age apart from just being best friends? And holding hands. Yeah, that's nice. Mm. And Sam's going to be useless at it, which is going to be amusing. And she's... And Hope's going to be very domineering. Well, she already is. The size difference alone between mm-hmm. the two of them. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise of the street. <laughs> Some better get you running in. He's going to be jumping out of airplanes before we know it. Just the two of them sitting together and... Yeah, and that's the, nice. In the bus shelter. That's and, nice. And meeting up for a little... <clears throat> for a malt at, the, at Nina's Rolls. Okay, for Just the lovely. kids, they're the Tom Holland and Zendaya of the street. Oh, that's yeah. that's that's much more <clears throat> recent. Short King, Tall Queen reference. I do want Beth to get her comeuppance in this, though, because the, the one time that Hope is telling the truth about it. Right. But, but you know, maybe if Beth gets away with it, this is the lesson that's going that's to put, gonna put hope, hope on a good street. Right, to not be a demon child anymore. So this gets rectified and she's back on the bad street again. Yes. All right, our final storyline tonight is Mia in the middle. Or Maya, I think they call her. Yes, it's Maya because it's a Y. 
No, it's an eye. It's MIA on her messages and stuff. Oh. On See, Stelly's friend Maya, it's a Y. Yeah, this isn't. No. On Thursday at the Young Crew flat, Brian has put labels on the cupboards in the kitchen, which I think is just hilarious. Stelly's friend Maya would never date Aaron. Amy comes in complaining about being kept awake all night by Aaron Summer Gasson all night long. Summer says that she wasn't even staying there last night. She just arrived. Cagely, Aaron says it was talking to his dad. Later, Amy wasn't believing it for a second and Aaron confesses that he was actually talking with his ex who's going through a tough time but he doesn't want Summer knowing or freaking out about it. Amy advises him to come clean. But when Aaron meets Summer in Nina's roles later, he doesn't come clean but when he's at the counter arguing with Bernie about something, Summer sees a text come in to his phone from Maya thanking him for last night in capitals. With XXX afterwards. And Maya, she signs it. Yeah. What's wrong with this girl? Zimmer's man. Who knows? I don't think... that This is not a, a person Aaron's age sending that text. This is not a person any age capable of texting. This is Roy. This is something Roy would do. Who the fuck's Maya? Asks Summer. Aaron explains that Maya's going through a lot with her eating disorder and depression. I'm like, Jesus, does Aaron only date women with eating disorders? And depression. He admits that this was who he was speaking to rather than his dad because Summer's a bit slow and hadn't picked up on that. So she goes back to the flat to complain about this to Amy and is not amused when she realises that Amy already knew or at least suspected or definitely knew because Aaron told her. Brian comes in to announce that he'll be moving home tomorrow and no one reacts. Amy goes on to tell Summer that they were laughing around and having a grand old time which is not what Aaron led her to believe. Brian is determined to be in this scene though and he goes on about his Mexican DNA results that he's still waiting for. Right, he thinks he's an Aztec warrior or warlock. To which I shout, there are no warlocks amongst the Aztecs. Do you know what a warlock is, Brian? That's not what a warlock is. What is wrong with you? Amy reckons that he's probably related to a pig farmer. Summer who was willing to have a... <laughs> and Brian says you are your mother's child. Summer who was willing to have a baby with another man isn't happy about Aaron offering support to his ex. Back at Billy's, Aaron apologises for misleading someone and will tell her the next time. Next time? He thinks the two of them would be pals. They have lots in common. Seems Aaron's been telling Maya all about Summer's excitement from recent, <sighs> from recent months, yes. which Summer does not react well to. No. And they finally have an argument about how Summer was going to have another man's baby to pay for Eric's rehab that no one asked her to do. And she throws him out. And they split up for maybe the ninth time Something in the last like six that. months. On Friday, Amy and Aaron are looking forward to Brian fucking off today. Amy is annoyed by some mail for Jacob, who still hasn't been in touch, and Aaron has his own relationship woes with Summer. They arrange to hit the cocktail night at the bistro later. Aaron goes back to the flat. For which they got a flyer through the mail yeah. for. That's hilarious. What decade are we living in, Broom? Aaron goes back to the flat and says a warm cheerio to Brian, telling him to come over and hang out anytime he likes. Brian is touched in more ways than one. I quite liked the relationship that these two had. A veritable odd couple. Right, yes. Next stop, Aaron goes to see Summer to apologise for blabbing about her eating disorder to his ex-girlfriend. But he's standing firm on what he said about the selling the baby thing. 
He wants to make it up with Summer, but she's not comfortable with his relationship with Maya and doesn't trust him not to bother. So Aaron heads to work where he learns that he's been promoted to a full mechanic. He's far from elated though, thanks to worrying about his relationship with Summer. He tells Abby about it all, and Abby pretends to be interested and tells him to focus on the positives or whatever. Right. Summer goes round to see Amy for her opinion on this. Amy thinks Summer has been needy and insecure. Yeah, she's a very bad friend. Amy? Yes. Aaron has been there for her throughout the whole diabetes, eating disorder, pregnancy, miscarriage, potential surrogacy, kidnapping, shove Mike thing. Right. Let him off the leash a bit, for God's sake. Summer is not impressed by this and casts up Jacob drug dealing. So Amy throws Summer out. Stupid cow. Aaron gets home and finds that Amy has had an argument with Summer too. And not only that, she's taken her comments about Jacob to heart. Aaron shares his promotion news and he has a bottle from Brian as a thank you and a bottle from Abby as a congratulations. Perked up, they agree to go at the cocktail night after all. Summer, meanwhile, is pissed off that Aaron keeps inviting her to the cocktail night. Paul tells her to lighten up and go have some fun and Billy agrees because he's now officially unbearable. And then you, right, the, and, and he wants the flat to himself so uh, he yeah. and Paul can oh, have wild... Can be de- loud, passionate sex. Can be deplorable with each other. Yes. The young crew are all at the young crew flat getting maracked before they head out to get proper drunk. Right. Opens- They're drinking this horrible blue stuff that Brian gave them. And maybe blue balls. The blue Siraco. Who knows? Yikes. I don't know whether that goes with anything. Lemonade, maybe? It doesn't. They're drinking it straight. Aaron opens a bottle of champers and it fizzes up all over them. Amy stays back to help him clean up while the others all head to the bistro. All cleaned up, Aaron is in his boxers as he sniffs the crotch of his jeans. Ugh. He and Amy get a bit too close and then end up winching the face of each other with the door to the flat wide open. Yikes. Now I think, oh, someone's going to walk in and see this. But they don't. And they break it off. I kind of wish she had. <laughs> right. When Amy gets a call from Asha, chasing them up. And with the moment gone... Amy snaps at Aaron to get ready. At the bistro, the young crew are getting drunk and dancing embarrassingly. Summer shows up and gives Aaron a gift for getting promoted. She asks if he wants to talk in private, and he says later, and he leaves her gift unopened on the bar. And yeah, she, what and a she's kind of hurt by this. Fuck him. Aaron clearly has eyes for Amy now, thinking that she's a better bet for not having a baby with another man. <laughs> Meanwhile, Nina and Asha are worried that Amy is single. Summer tells Amy to forget all about stupid, stinky, smelly boys. They're all idiots and smelly. Aaron doesn't take too kindly to this dig and tells Summer to mind her own fucking business. Amy goes home upset and Aaron chases after her, but she tells him to stay put. Later, Summer reacts badly when she sees Aaron smiling at a text and says, oh, is that from your Maya? But it turns out it's really from his dad this time. And they continue to snipe each other until Summer leaves and Aaron goes home too, apologising to the others for the scene. Yeah. Amy is home, drunk, calling Jacob, but his line has been disconnected. Aaron comes in and the two of them chat about the disastrous night at the bistro and then get wired into the bottles. Amy says what happened earlier meant nothing and they continue drinking and they look to be kind of pally and laughing and joking and stuff. Two bottles in and Amy and Aaron are completely bladdered. Amy goes to get some shots and they continue to get more moolard. Then she bounces to her room for some slow gin but crashes to the floor. Aaron goes in to check on her and they end up on her bed. They start winching again and start undressing. Amy is about to be sick and rolls over but Aaron keeps going at it 
the Naomi seems to fall asleep and Arn keeps going at it. The Naomi is definitely unconscious and Arn is still going at it. And that's how we end this week's episodes. I hate this. Hate it. Hate it because the way that this is framed and the way that it will appear to others that Amy was asking for it and that Amy, by kissing him at first before she passes out, was in essence giving consent, even though no consent was given. There was neither a yes nor a no. There was a I'm about to be sick and now I'm going to pass out. Mm -hmm. And then she passes out. Right. I hated this idea from like the very first time I heard about it. Yeah, this has been, I think, kind of known about for maybe about a month that this was was going to happen. But I had kind of assumed that what was going to happen was different than what actually happened. What I assumed was going to happen was that Aaron was going to, you know, get drunk, that they were going to get drunk, or that he would be the one who was drunk and she wouldn't be drunk and that there would be an op, you know, and there would be no winching beforehand. There would be no, you know, bunning up together and being kind of cute together beforehand. And it would be very clear, at least to the audience, that no consent was given, that this is not something that Amy was interested in. And he would this would happen while she was passed out and there would be no kissing beforehand. You don't think that it's clear that there was no consent? I think for you and I, it's clear that there was no consent. But I think it will be very hard for Amy to convince other people that there was no consent. And I think that there are people out there who are going to say, well, she was kissing him. So, of course, he thought that it was okay. But see, I think that's the the important part of it is that it does show there was there was something happening. Now, they could be in there all together, mm-hmm. and he is putting a condom on, uh-huh. and she says, do you know what? This is a bad idea. I'm Let's not, not interested in this. And if he continues to do it, then that is rape. Yes. And this and, is rape. And I, oh, absolutely. And if she was to pass out naked, uh-huh. and he... Yeah. Has sex with her, then that is rape also. Yes. I I think I think what they're trying to do here, and I think what maybe is being what what maybe I think is commendable is the, the fact that they're they're introducing the fact that there was some romantic uh overtures right. that night. But none of that matters. No. Because at the end of the day when Amy lost consciousness right no consent had been sought or provided right i think that's the important thing to get across is that if there's a, a, a meme about a cup of tea right and giving some a cup of tea right and i think this is this is closer it feels like it's closer to that or it's trying to be closer to that where mm-hmm. in that whole cup of tea metaphor there are some things where even if you go back to somebody's flat with the express intention of having a cup of tea mm-hmm. and you fall asleep, mm-hmm. you don't pour tea down somebody's throat. Correct. 
And I, I think we're maybe, hopefully, we're in a, in a place where it is more widely known of what the definition of rape is mm-hmm. and where there is still a grey area is in, for some, because yeah. there is no grey area. No. But where there is a grey area for some is kind of in this tiptoeing round about the, the, the boundaries that we've got this storyline she did a a little one minute piece on twitter talking Mm -hmm. about i think it was care is the Mm -hmm. acronym that they've got right and it couldn't be any more blunt yeah than it is it's you know sometimes they talk about things as sexual assault and sexual harassment and stuff like this but the only word that is used assaulted the only word that is used to describe this is rape that amy has been raped well the Twitter account for the show has used non-consensual sex more than rape in the leading up to the story. And that makes me really uncomfortable because call it what it is. Mm. It's rape. Let's not try to sugarcoat it by calling it non-consensual sex because, you know, then it's like messing with definitions and everything. And I'm, this is a tough enough storyline to watch as someone who has been raped before. Mm. It makes it even worse what is going to happen, which is watching people that are supposed to have Amy's back not believe her and blame her for this. And accuse her of stealing Summer's boyfriend. Mm. And all of that stuff is going to happen. Because of course it's going to happen. And I don't... I don't honestly want to watch that. Mm. You know? And I kind of feel like if it was more... Clean cut. And not kind of playing with... People's perceptions of grey areas. And what does non-consensual sex mean. Mm. Et cetera, et cetera. It's not rape, it's non-consensual sex because she could neither give nor deny consent. I'm just, I'm worried that there are too many people out there for whom the gray area will continue to be a gray area. Oh yeah, you're not going to connect to 100% of people. Let's let's remember what we've just gone through with the whole refugee Mm -hmm. storyline and the the grooming of Max and the, and the terrorism by white people and everything and how well that turned out with a number of members of the audience of Coronation Street. Yeah, but you're never... Complaining about it being woke. But you're never going to connect with everyone and assholes going to be assholes. Right. I think, though, that rape equals rape and non-consensual sex equals rape. Yeah. If, Just call if it, it rape if then. It, but if it gets through to a, to a few people that, wait a minute, this is the same thing... Right. Then maybe some good can come of it. Yeah. I, I, I guess, feel like that's optimistic to say. Well. Who knows? You've got to try. I think my issue is really, and none of this is a criticism of how, even I think from my point of view, the way that it was presented, I thought Amy and Aaron, drunk, acted it out exceptionally well. And... 
maybe Aaron's character has shifted a bit too quick for my liking. Yeah. But overall, I think the the, the presentation of it and the, the performances have been great. But my problem with this is this is happening in tandem with Daisy's kind of traumatic stalking kind of traumatic very traumatic very traumatic stalking right storyline we've just had maria being trolled we just had alia getting blown up and knifed Mm -hmm. cut us some slack give us a break it it seems that we're just we're not piling on summer anymore but summer's just coming off the back of all that sort of stuff right to have these things going on at the same time these message stories is I don't I don't decry the the importance of giving the message one little bit, but I think if you're telling too many messages at the same time, people are people aren't going to concentrate on it all because it's going to feel like you're at a lecture, and and they're they're going to they're going to switch off. And also, there's more to a woman's life than being harassed and assaulted and knifed by men. And gaslit because let's let's also include Sarah and Carla being gaslit by Stephen and Carla being drugged by Stephen. We've already, I mean, how many times will men drug women on this show and kind of get away with it? Mm. And all the druggers from the same family, interestingly enough. But still, it's it's like, can't we think of? more interesting things to do with these female characters than just constantly assaulting them over and over and over and over and over again and thinking of new ways to assault them and traumatize them. Yeah. I would I would like a storyline where a female's character isn't changed forever at the end of it. Right. Because yeah. we see this coming up in some of the... The, the Twitter things. Amy's life will never be the same. Daisy's right. life is going to change forever. And right. So, can we, just once, maybe just some something nice happens. Yeah. Occasionally. Amy's life will never be the same because she won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> or but, wrote an award-winning story. And also just this whole fucking strong thing. We We joke about it, but it's just, it feels like this is the excuse they give. Oh, we can do it to these characters because they're so, so strong. And we're showing female empowerment through assaulting women over and over and over again Mm -hmm. and showing how strong women are in the face of these things. Stop. Hmm. That's not feminist at all. No, no. You're not doing what you think you're doing when you say shit like that. So just stop. And let Amy win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> and get her fucking detective agency up with Addy. And right, yes. And adopt a dog <laughs> and buy a van. The, the kind of abuse of Summer is continuing throughout this as well. Because now she's suddenly possessive and overbearing. Right. And untrusting. And, 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 and nobody's stopping to think why that might be. They're saying, oh, you shouldn't be like this because Aaron was so nice to you through all of this. He did put up with a lot of her shit, though, let's face it. Yeah, but he went along with it, too, and he never once said, stop, 
don't do this for my dad's rehab. Not once did he say that. He was like, yes, please have this baby so we can pay for my dad's rehab. He guilted her into it. He was constantly saying things like, if we don't do this, my dad will die. I don't think he guilted her into it at all. He did. I don't think he guilted her into being a surrogate for, for Mike, who, let's remember, was shoved at the end of this. Yes. Oh, poor Mike was shoved after Summer nearly died. Summer nearly died after she was kidnapped and people are telling her to cut people slack because they were nice to her. I don't think any of these people would be friends with Summer. I'm just going to say that. None of these people would be friends with anybody because they're all horrible, <laughs> horrible people. Apart from Amy. She's wonderful. Well, well she, she was, was kind of really, horrible. She was a dick this week. And see, that's the other thing that I don't like is that she was an she was an absolute jerk, not just to Summer, but to Brian, who, let's remember, it was her, idea, her idea for him to move in. Yeah, she gave him 24 hours to move back out again. Right. Move yeah. in, but don't stay and don't say anything and don't eat anything and don't no. breathe and don't look at me. And don't label the cupboards. I love the labeled cupboards. Now, if we can only get somebody to tile that bit underneath the cooker hood. Right. And wash the dishes. Yeah. Oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Yes. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Gemma eating cake. <sighs> people hate that people hate that she eats well mouth open i don't fucking care i love it it was a bit of joy in a very depressed one young woman gets a moment of joy this week one and i embrace it yeah one give that, us more one that was braced one that was eating cake one that was blessed with four kids Right, and Chauncey. Not, not that we're punishing her or anything. <laughs> that is our... Moment of the week. Our moment of the week. Our boring moment of the week. Hmm. Ken talking about how young Gemma is, so she can die. No, that was great. <laughs> Can't have that. That was great. That was part of that great scene. I know, I know. It was my least favourite part of it, though. No, it was great. They're all kind of piling on. That was wonderful. <laughs> Including Gemma. Gemma don't care. She's like, please, Cake, kill me. I have four kids with Chauncey. Is it Stephen inexplicably beating up youth? Is that boring? No, it's more inexplicable. Tim's mum and her cheese sandwich. A ridiculous All one right. slice Tim's of mom's cheese sandwich. mild cheddar sandwich. That's a boring moment of the week. Can a sandwich be a moment? Yes. <laughs> And let let me say right now, if you like mild cheddar, you're doing cheese wrong. If you're doing cheese wrong, write in to tell us about it. We're the we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You almost said list of lists. I did. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to Kofi.com. That's K-O fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. A talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.